Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me. At this point, it shouldn't come as a surprise that I really enjoy talking to veteran business owners. And no, it's not to try and get sponsors for the show. Life after the military can be weird, disorienting. It's like if you only ever drove on an interstate with almost no exits for your adult life to that point, and then out of nowhere, an endless number of exits open up. Some glide out to green pastures, some to ominous forests, and others seem to lead to mountains too high to climb from where you are right now. There's no GPS. Hell, there's not even an atlas to tell you where you need to go. The truth is, however, that you might not even know where to go even if you had them. Sometimes, when you've spent years building goals from a very specific model of success, it becomes difficult to articulate your own model of success. I like talking to veteran business owners because they see an opportunity. And even though there is all this uncertainty, these challenges, and despite any voice in their life or in their own head telling them they won't make it, they are confident in their skill, ability to outwork others, and perhaps most importantly, aren't afraid of all the failures you have to endure to reach whatever success can be found in that opportunity. This episode, I'm talking to Matt Griffin, or Griff, CEO and co-founder of Combat Flip Flops, a company who firstly makes really awesome gear, but also takes on creating tangible change in really tough places by doing things like creating new, sustainable jobs and funding women's education. We talk about his time in the Army, how 9-11 impacted his family and his time in service, and how he's carried certain experiences into his life and especially into his company. Griff was such an awesome person to talk to, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing his story and hearing about all the incredible things his company does for other people. Welcome to No Shit There I Was a show committed to sharing the stories and experiences of those in and around the military for everyone to hear. So please, relax and enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Emblem Athletic. Just about anywhere you go in the military, one of the most important experiences is becoming part of the team in which you find yourself. One of my favorite ways of doing that is donning unit gear to go to work and sweat harder than anyone else in a shirt they wish they could be wearing. What was the worst is when you show up and they didn't have the size schmedium you insist on wearing. When you know you gotta flaunt those gains. Keeping inventory can be frustrating when you're running a unit store, especially for required items. Let Emblem Athletic help you out. Not only do you get a custom designed, high quality gear, but you will get a web store where you can either order in bulk or have your soldiers order for themselves. If you're the kind of person who carries MRE toilet paper and wet wipes in the field, why not both? All you have to do is head to emblemathletic.com and start a style quiz then you'll be on your way to getting badass gear to match your badass unit. Also, here's a pro tip. On the top of the main webpage, click on the online stores button to check out some of the awesome designs already out there. If all that isn't enough, Emblem Athletic has a 100% satisfaction, no sweat guarantee, so you can be confident in your decision. This episode is brought to you by Desert Tactical Fitness, a warrior-owned company who is pushing for fitness for all. One particular irony of army life, which I recall, is the expectation for elite levels of fitness, but never being in places that had what I needed to maintain it. Whether you're on a range for a week trying to sling rounds, or fighting for the liberation of Atropia at a CTC, it's hard to get your swole on in the same place you find yourself eating MREs. That's where Desert Tactical Fitness comes in, with field expedient sandbags you can lift, swing, or throw to your heart's content. That's right, no more dreading soreness because you had to miss a leg day, or feeling out of shape because you had to get some ARMY training! They're built to last, but if they do break, they can be repaired for free for up to two years. Visit DesertTacticalFT.com to purchase and follow them on Facebook or Instagram for announcements and workouts. Just a quick announcement before this episode gets started. One of the things I appreciate most about the podcast I listen to is consistency. So to offer a little bit more of that to my tribe of listeners, what you can count on going forward is a new episode on the last Thursday of every month. Now, that's not to say that there won't be other content or other targets of opportunity released outside of that schedule, but to deliver the quality interviews and content that you've come to expect from this show, that's the schedule that will be followed. And finally, just keep in mind that I recorded this episode with Griff in the beginning of the summer, so that might give some context to some of the things he mentions. Thanks. Enjoy the interview. Cool. Uh, So one of the things about this is you covered an amazing amount of backgrounds just in a short segment on Shark Tank. But beyond that, so you were in in second bat, right? I was a second Ranger Battalion guy. Yep. Right. That is correct. Awesome. 
don't tell anybody, but this is on a podcast, so you guys can't tell anybody, but I'm an officer. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I graduated from West Point in 2001, uh, okay. right, into, right into the war, and I, I always wanted to be an artillery fire support officer. I love that job. I love the purpose behind it, um, and being there with the infantry guys and, and doing that kind of mission was always kind of a dream of mine, and I just uh, went to officer basic course, went to pre-ranger, went to ranger, got to my first conventional unit. And then as soon as I could, I applied to be, you know, the regiment and went over to second ranger battalion. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. So this is a little rabbit hole. So my brother graduated in 2002. What company were you in? Uh, I was in B3 when I graduated. Uh, so I started off in C3. Okay. Um, go Cox. Go Cox. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you remember please calling minutes and crowing. Yeah. I, uh, it's so funny. Like you can be away from it for 20 years. Yeah, and then somebody mentions something like that, and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no! Somebody call in minutes. No, don't do it. Take it away. <laughs> Stop that memory. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so I have that gap year with you. You graduated, and then I recorded. I don't know, like a month later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that was like being at the academy. Just the whole experience of of being a, a new person into the military as a freshman at West Point and then having to go through something like September 11th where everything gets locked down and you were so close to it. It must, yeah. have, been a, must have been a wild time, a story in itself. It was. Um, it was a really weird experience. I talked about, about this with a classmate of mine in a previous episode, but it's like a, I was in DDS. And Discrete I, Dynamical Systems. That's right. Yes. That's fractals, right, baby. Fractals. <laughs> oh my God. The Mandelbrot. You remember sack. far more than I do. <laughs> but uh, so I got finished with class. I was walking back. I can't remember if there were screens in that room or not, but I don't think there was. I, I knew a lot of other of my friends that actually they had screens and like, you know, their instructors turned on the screens and uh, they watched it during class. Uh, but I was walking back to my, to my room, eyes straight forward, hands cupped and moving. Pinging, baby. Pinging. That's right. Pinging, just moving as fast as I could so nobody would stop me. And I get back to, uh, I, yep. you know, I'm, I'm walking through the hall trying just to get to my room so the, the cow that's, that lives next to me doesn't see me. And because he was like probably my biggest tormentor. So and, for, the, for those of you guys who know, cow's a junior. No, oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, good yeah. call. The junior that lives next to me, who typically they're the they're the worst ones about like, it's not hazing. It's just giving you a hard time, really. You know, hazing has a very specific definition. These but make your life he, uncomfortable whenever they felt like it. That's right. He could basically trap me and ask me as many questions. And then if I didn't answer him right, then uh, life was not fun. He could correct me with, with push-ups and, and whatever else. So he was actually the one. He did catch me. and He stopped me and said, are you watching the TV? And I said, you know, no cadet sergeant, you know, yeah. uh, cause the cows are all, you know, non-commissioned officers, officers at that point it, it, within that rank structure, not, not real ones. But he says, you need to get into your room and turn on your TV right now. I said, okay. So I bust in my room, you know, turn on the TV and basically started watching right as the tower fell. And, uh, the second tower fell and that was, uh, it was crazy. You know, it was kind of blur for a little while after that. They, you know, they locked down the, the campus and, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what in the world is is happening now? You know, I kind of entered into this place thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll come here and, you know, I might go somewhere like uh, Balkans, right? But as it turns out, you know, my entire world got flipped on its head. My entire plan is like, oh, well, I'll, I'll be in the army for a while and, and uh, you know, I might deploy somewhere and, or go train somewhere in the world. Uh, but that all changed very quickly. So it was, yeah, it was crazy. But I'm sure for you, you know, you got out and you're in that mindset. You're like, I'm going to be an officer in, in this kind of army. And months later, that just changed. Yeah. My, my first choice at post location was Italy. Uh, my buddy Kyle took that spot sitting right next to me on, on post night. So oh, then man. the next spot was Hawaii. And, you know, did I really want to go to Hawaii? And I, I consulted a couple other mentors and they say, no, go to Fort Lewis. There's a Ranger Battalion there. You'll be closer to it. Like you're going to want to do that. And so I, I chose yeah. Fort Lewis and, you know, I, I expected to go there, play with the new strikers, you know, do something for a few years, maybe try to get a overseas location as a, as a, you know, company grade officer or field grade officer, and then maybe stay 20, maybe. Right. You know, and then, um, you know, there's no real thought about it. 
you know, we were going to NTC and, you know, fighting these mock battles. And next thing you know, we're sitting in fire support class in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. My instructor comes in the classroom, shuts the door, says, everybody shut up and turns on the TV just to watch the second plane run into the tower. And it was that moment where we're like, nope, we're going to war. Like, this is happening. Like, your entire yeah. life has changed. You're going to have to pivot everything. And this is going to be a purpose for your life for at least the next four years. Right. And it's kind of amazing. I imagine it's probably the same for you. The entire tone of your experience in life changed, like, really in that moment. Everything had a different feel to it. Yeah. It wasn't a matter of if, it was when. Right. Right. Like, you're going. This is a thing. Yeah. There's no getting away from it. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend. It was kind of crazy. The nature of what I felt was kind of this naive feeling. Because I was, you know, I was at West Point. I just started my first year. Like I, I was there for four years. Am I going to get to experience this? Which, right or wrong, that's the way I felt. And you know, I look back and I'm like, yeah, you're an idiot. Um, yeah, that was a very real feeling in that moment. But for you, as I'm sure, the immediacy was very present. Like you were going to be with a unit in the army, doing something very, very soon. Yeah, and it, like compound on that, my mom worked in a military dental health facility near the Pentagon, right? Was oh, she wow. okay? Yeah. My girlfriend at the time worked a few blocks north of the World Trade Center. Is she okay? Right. All of those things are going through, like as you're watching this and you're sitting at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and wow, you know that afternoon we were actually out firing cannons on the range and having to like step away from the gun line and just like telling my instructor like, hey, look, like my mom's in D.C., my girlfriend's in New York, like I just need to make sure they're okay. Absolutely. And the one time that the instructors are cool with you grabbing a cell phone out on an exercise and just stepping back and like making sure everything's all right, you know, and being out there in a field and getting those calls and getting those texts at the time, text wasn't as, as prolific as it is now. No, not at all. Um, uh, you know, just like being okay, but still being mad about it. Like that fear mm -hmm. that so much is going to get taken away from you right there. It lasts like that stuff. It happens. It really does. Wow. Yeah. It put, puts a mark on you. Yeah. Wow. So that that's incredible. You had family that was immediately present in that. I can imagine on two sides of it, you're raring and ready to go. You're like, okay, there's a work to be done. I want to go in there and do it with everyone else. But you also have the extra motivation of like, well, that threatened two people that I really care about. That's That had to be a lot. It was. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things that we're going through right now. Everybody's going through it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're not in it alone. So you know, you go out to your, your first unit, you go and start getting those experiences. You know, you said you went to second Ranger battalion or some of those experiences along that timeline that really carried with you that, you know, I hate to say that people carry baggage, but because it's not necessarily baggage, it's, it's experiences that kind of get their threads that get woven into, you know, the fabric of, of who you are. You know, what are some of those things that happen uh, with you? I would say uh, it's interesting. So when you go to the regiment for your selection process, they give you a psychological evaluation. Right. It's, it's just a part of the job. And, you know, right before the, you go into your final board interview, the psych comes in and he gives you the breakdown of your evaluation because they evaluate you the first day. Then they watch you through the two weeks of selection. Then they make their full assessment. And then, they, then you go in front of the board. And, you know, he, he's like, you know, you suffer from a lack of empathy. I didn't even know what the word meant. Right. He was totally right. So I go into this interview. The guy says like, yeah, you don't have any empathy. I'm like, huh? Like, what's that? Right. And yeah. you know, when you're driving on posts and they got those like words of the month in the median, it's like you're driving through security. Like mm -hmm. you look at, I literally get home from selection into the regiment and I'm driving through the gate and the word of the month is empathy. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening universe. Like, <laughs> this is it. And, you know, four or five months later, I was in Afghanistan and I really learned empathy. Like our operation was Operation Winter Strike. It was a really historic mission in the regiment where it's one of the only two times in history of the, they've deployed all three battalions to the same area in a conflict at the same time. In oh, history, wow. this yeah. is one of the two times they've done it. And it was in the middle of winter, high altitude villages, real ranger patrols over Thanksgiving and Christmas between 2003 to 2004. And we lived in villages. Like we rolled into these places where we saw absolute poverty. Yeah. I lived in a school room that was maybe 10 feet by 10 feet with a leaky wooden heater in it at night. And we would run out and we would do patrols on that. And then, you know, we would roll up all of our mats so the kids could come in, sit in cross-legged with a couple of broken pieces of chalk and learn how to read and write. 
maybe. Yeah. You know, we were there for so long and you're, you're going to bed every night and you're like, God, I'm cold. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Like this sucks. And then that moment finally hits you and go, Oh crap. Everybody who lives in this village feels this way every day. Yeah. That's empathy, right? When you're able to feel the feelings that they have. Definitely. Um, and that one stuck with me. You know, it's, you know, what I, what I saw on the news from everything post September 11th, what I read in the books and everything else was, couldn't be farther from the truth about the people of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, it, it just wasn't true. And what I saw on the ground when you're interacting with these people is the same thing you see here. It's a bunch of really good, hardworking people trying to work hard for their families and a bunch of, you know, governments and agencies are, are pl playing big dog with just a very few people. Like the people who are making all the decisions are a very small percentage of the population. Yeah. And primarily most people there are fairly good. Absolutely. Yeah. I had very similar experiences in both Iraq and in Afghanistan where, you know, in Iraq, you know, we had people that would bring us bread every day and uh -huh. people that we lived around build relationships with, with certain people. But then I realized, you know, I'm really only talking to uh, maybe the top four or five people. Then we started going out to each of the villages and just getting with those folks more and just trying to be out there and, and talk to them and, and talk to them about what life is like. And you start to realize that, you know, those, the fundamental needs that everybody has, they're really interested in making sure their family's safe and making sure that their, their family's fed, uh, the people that they love are taken care of. Those are the things that the fundamental underlying uh, necessities of life that everybody is, is trying to get And the same thing happened in uh, Afghanistan where I was in Kunar province and I was in Wardak province, both six months, uh, six months apiece. And you, it's the same thing. The same thing as what you're talking about. And it's crazy too, because then you contrast it against your life and you're, you know, you're whining, you're complaining. You're, and then you realize, wait a second, I have really great gear to do all of this. And these people are, you know, trying to get by with, um, you know, whatever blankets they can, they can uh, pull together or that maybe they've had for years. They're taking care of stuff that they used to cook and clean and uh, make their lives that, you know, if it, if it breaks or if it, it goes, then it's not easy to get a replacement. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think like this thing that we're going through right now with COVID is starting to maybe get people to have, I, my hope is that people establish a little bit more empathy for right. what we've been doing internationally for the past 20 years. Definitely. When something major happens that rocks your society where you can't get a job, you can't get food, you can't get toilet paper, you can't get all those other things that you had for basic necessities. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we've been doing in war zones for 20 years now. Like your tax dollars have been funding very th similar things to that, to put that on cultures and populations that had no choice in it. Yeah. Like we, we might establish a little bit of empathy now for them. And we, hopefully, you know, the American society and people in our citizenry takes this moment to do a little bit of self-reflection and maybe changes how we change, how we act moving forward in our foreign policy. Yeah. I see more of how this is impacting people that, that don't have the resources, people that don't have, you know, I think this, I think what we're seeing now with, you know, economic downturn that people who are already in that position of need we're getting to see more how they're impacted by the slightest turns in or the slightest impacts of, of economic change. Right. Um, whereas yeah. in the time of war, it, that's a little bit more hidden, right? You're more focused on the, you know, the phenomenon of war rather than the impact of it has on populations of people. On, on human beings. Right. Like guys trying to go to work, delivery right. truck drivers. Butchers, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Office workers, everybody. Yep. Whereas, you know, now it, I think in a, in a good way, but in a terrible, terrible situation, it, it may be, maybe it's because it's hitting home now. Uh, the livelihood of folks is, is kind of getting exposed in that it's so fragile. It's very dependent on these circumstances that can change very quickly. Agreed. So what do you want to tackle next, man? What do you want to... <laughs> What's, yeah. this, what's one major issue do we want to we want to like address now <laughs> oh man you know and i think that kind of segues pretty well into based on what you said you saw something you said maybe i can make a difference with that is that i mean is that the kind of the what you felt 
No, not really. No. Okay. No, I, uh, yeah, my, my first deployment was tough. Uh, second deployment, we lost a pretty notable dude. Um, that was tough. Third deployment, uh, was, was high adventure. And then my daughter was born while I was in country on that deployment. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, came back, was home for a little bit. We got pregnant again and then left for Iraq for six months. Wow. Um, had a pretty, pretty violent deployment there. And it came home to the birth of my second daughter. Um, so I, I, to be honest, man, my, my focus was keeping my guys alive, staying alive and getting home to my family. Yeah. That was, that was my, my main, my main focus of things. And like most veterans, like I was super angry, um, when I got out, like ridiculously angry. I was angry at the army. I was angry at our leadership. I was angry at the foreign countries. I was angry at the people who live there. I was just freaking mad. Right. Cause I, you, yeah. you, you, you suck up all the propaganda from age, whatever, since you could turn on a TV, like be all you can be, get an edge on life in the army. You go through a place like West Point, you get all of their programming there. And then as a young adult, you go out and you do the things that you're told to do and you don't feel great about them. And it's not what you were told it was going to be. And it was not what you were trained to do. And then you're trying to reconcile all of that while you're at home on your couch without all, without all your army buddies. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a familiar situation, which a lot of veterans go through. Yeah. You know, you, you're raised in a Judeo-Christian society. It says, thou shalt not kill. All of those things to eight weeks after, you know, going through basic is what makes the green grass grow. Blood makes the green grass grow. That's right. And then you go down range and you're rewarded for being the most violent. And then you come home and then you have to completely shift away from that mindset. Yeah. That is not acceptable behavior anymore back into thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt yeah. obey the law. Yeah. Thou shalt do all these things. And you're stuck in this like moral conundrum of, well, how come this isn't right anymore? It was right for me. And I was getting, you know, colorful metals pinned on my chest for doing this last year, but now this is wrong here. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge reconciliation, which a lot of us have to do. And, you know, I struggled like everybody getting out. And then I started just traveling internationally and I started seeing how in conflict areas, that businesses were the, you know, were the main drivers of security. Like I'm a map guy. I look at maps when I go places, you know, when you get your nightly mission brief, yeah, you know, they throw up the map of town. They go, okay, here are the hot spots. Here are the explosions went on today. Here's the, you know, here's where the attacks were. And it doesn't take too much of seeing that on a daily basis to know that attacks happen in one of three places. They happen around military compounds and convoys. They happen around embassies and embassy convoys, and they happen around media. You know where they don't happen? Areas where small businesses are flourishing because the business owners don't let it happen. Like those are the guys who live in those communities. They got people in the street. If something bad happens to their business, they can't feed their families. And so they do what they have to, whether you know calling security or making deals or whatever, to not have anything happen there. And so the safest place that you can be in any of conflict area is the area with like, the kebab stand and the cell phone stand, right? And like all like the grocery store, because those places just have a, a much lower likelihood of getting hit than anywhere else because those business owners are concerned about their business and they'll do what they do to keep their businesses up and running because that's good for family. Yeah. And I kept getting showed this same thing. Every time I would go to a different foreign country, it didn't matter if it was in Africa or Asia or wherever else it was, it's the same thing. Bad stuff doesn't happen in business areas. And so I, he was like, the, the lesson was, is why aren't we doing more of this as a country? Yeah. Why isn't the United States carving off a couple of those zeros we've been sending on spending on ineffective weapon systems and, and operations to maybe starting some business training and dumping money into the economy to get stuff up and rolling and providing jobs. Right. Because the majority of fighters, what most people don't understand is they don't fight for ideological reasons. They fight because they get paid and they need to feed their family. So if we can give them a reliable job, they'll take the reliable job or planning a backpack bomb 99% of the time. I mean, it's, it's very insightful in so many ways. One thing that crossed my mind was how much money we, we pump into very inefficient and very ineffective governments from a foreign aid standpoint. Yeah. When I think we could better spend it on, on what you're talking about. And then I also think about my experiences in, in both Iraq and Afghanistan where 
you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm a landowner. I'm, I'm literally talking to young men, um, every day and, and, and old men, the old men are more concerned with power, but the young men were all concerned about what am I going to do for my family in, in two ways. If I'm not married, what am I going to do for my family that's that's raised me? Or if I'm married, what am I going to do to help my family survive that I've started? And, you know, I think that's absolutely true. And, and the, the thing that, you know, I never paid attention to in the military, because you make a lot of money when you're in the military, comparatively. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you get jump pay, hazardous duty pay, overseas pay. When you're downrange, you're not getting taxed, right? So you right. come back and you've got you've got coin. And like they take taxes out of your paycheck, but you're like, oh, you're, I'm just paying back my own salary, whatever. That's the mentality that most guys in the military have. Yeah. And then when you get out, most of us are going to take a significant pay cut, like you're a right. ridiculous yeah. pay cut. <laughs> and then you start looking at your paycheck and you're looking at your taxes that you sign away on your pay stub every month and you go, holy crap, that's a lot of money. And then you break it down and you go, holy crap, half of that paycheck was going to the Department of Defense to do the ineffective stuff they've been doing for the last however many years. And just as a taxpayer, I go, man, I really wish they were using my money more effectively. Right, right. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, you sit there and you think, I, I keep on having friends tell me they will never actually do a full audit of Department of Defense. Uh, one, because it would be impossible. And two, uh, they can never publish it. Correct. I mean, there's been those things that have been coming out over here over the last few years. You see them on the internet and they get pulled down. But, you know, yeah. they did an initial accountability since 2001 and like $20 trillion with a T is somehow missing. Yep. Like, I don't know how you get upside down on $20 trillion, but <laughs> apparently our policymakers and military leaders can can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, an incredible lack of accountability as far as that's concerned. It's definitely true. Yep. Let's break for a quick message. No matter how you may feel about it, face masks have become a fixed feature in our lives for the time being. Whether your kids are going to school or you're going to work, or you get to drop by the grocery store for one more ingredient for dinner, you're going to need to put a cover on that face to do it. If you have a team and want to boost team pride or help them rep the brand, you need to order Emblem Shields from Emblem Athletic. It's simple to get started. Go to EmblemShield.com and submit a logo graphic designers will use to create a design you can tweak or approve. Then you'll get a link to an exclusive online store where your team can purchase on their own or you can bulk order. In no time, your people will have a face shield that doesn't crush their spirit and they can wear other ways long after they don't need to use masks anymore, which we all hope is very soon. Now back to the episode. So as you traveled and you start to see some of these, I mean, really, I guess I see it as, as trends, right? You, you recognize a pattern. Where does your idea start to develop there? Uh, so I was at a military conference uh, trying to sell some medical equipment to the Afghan National Army. Yep. And obviously I'm an officer at the time. I had a little bit longer hair and a beard. And when you're trying to sell stuff into other militaries, usually it's the old Sergeant Major's good old boys club that yep. gets it done. So nobody's talking to me at this conference. And I'm looking across the way and there's some other long haired bearded guy at the conference and nobody's talking to him. Uh, so I was like, ah, weird knows weird. So I just go over and make friends with him. I'm going to be in this conference in Afghanistan for a couple of days. And it turns out he was a former Marine engineer officer that got hired by an Afghan family to build a combat boot factory for the Afghan military. Wow. And very similar to the Barry Amendment here, where we use U.S. manufacturers to outfit U.S. service members. So that way we were not dependent on other countries to support our military in the case of defense. The same mindset was being used in Afghanistan, and they started this program called Afghan First, Afghan Made. So a lot of people don't know this, but the Afghan military was 1,700 people when we invaded in 2001, and then it blew up to 340,000 people in under 10 years. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of boots. That's a lot of uniforms, backpacks, weapons, guns, ammo, like XXX, right? All of those things. Um and so to keep money in the Afghan economy, to create jobs, they said, hey, if you guys start a combat boot or a uniform or a military production facility here in Afghanistan, you'll have first right at this, you know, at this offering. And so he you know, worked with an Afghan family who invested in building a facility and he flew all over the world. And he built a beautiful world-class footwear and uniform manufacturing facility in Kabul. And I was just so impressed by the story. And he goes and he puts the cherry on top and he says, hey, man, you know, in, in all of this equipment procurement, I got the 
most badass espresso machine in our headquarters is probably the most badass espresso machine in Afghanistan. If you want a cup of coffee, come by and get one. And I'd been in Afghanistan for about a week at the time and I was just drinking nothing but tea. So I was getting really frustrated and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be by tomorrow. <laughs> and I stopped by the factory and what I witnessed was hundreds of people working, supporting their families, like gaining skills, doing positive things for their country. And it provided a, a pretty cool sense of closure to me because I'd only seen negative things come out of the country. I operated in the dark. That's it. You know, I only got to see like, it's like police officers. You only see the worst of the worst because that's what you're going after. And I, I had a, you know, just a, a negative mindset leaving Afghanistan that nothing we'd ever done was good. Yeah. Like it wasn't going to make a difference. And then I walked into this factory and then I knew it did make a difference. Yeah. So it provided a sense of closure for me. And I looked at the manager and I said, Hey dude, what are you going to do when the war ends? You know, swords to plowshares. It's a thing. What do commercial manufacturers do after the war? Like Ford, GM, GE, all those, com- all those companies did it here in the United States. Who's going to do it in Afghanistan? And I said, what are you going to make when the war ends? And he stops and he goes, now, man, we're not going to make anything. Everybody here is going to go out of work. Nobody's going to want to buy anything from Afghanistan. And I just got mad. I got super frustrated that this was a known thing that the United States was likely going to do based on our past performance and history and foreign policy is that we invade a foreign country, install, you know, gift wrap them a democracy and an economy, hand it to them. It fails. And then we leave and create a huge power vacuum that is going to create a violent entity that's going to be there that our kids are going to have to go back and fight. Yeah. That's how we ended up there in 2001 because we didn't take care of it in the eighties. Right. And so just knowing this cycle was coming again was like, it was just hitting me all in that moment. And I looked down on this table and there was this combat boot sole with a flip flop thong punch through it. And I thought it was just ugly and cool. And I was like, man, Americans would buy this shit. And, uh, (laughs) It's, it stopped. I said, Hey man, you mind if I run with this? And he says, yeah, sure. And so I got back in my little car that I've rented with my driver and I drove back to my hotel and I called my Ranger buddy Lee in LA and I said, Hey man, do you want to start a company making flip-flops in a combat boot factory in Afghanistan? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And we looked up the domain name combatflipflops.com and that was it. And it's a hell of a ride ever since. That's incredible. I guess I really hadn't heard that side of the story as of yet. And that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if, if you guys want to know more, if any of the listeners want to know more, uh, we actually wrote a book. It's called Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's for sale on Amazon, but right now with everybody being down for COVID, we're like, yeah, we'll just give you some good reading material. So you can go to our website, you can download the free ebook, or you can download the free audio book. So if you want to hear the, the whole story with lots of expletives, um, you can download that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hey, it's, uh, it's part of the language, right? It is. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a verb, noun, adjective, adverb. You know, the F, the F word is spectacular. You can apply it everywhere. Everywhere. Um, uh, we can go a couple different directions with this. So part of me, I, I'm really interested. A lot of people just kind of go from zero to like 60. And that entire journey, which is very, very up and down and crazy between zero and 60 kind of gets glossed over. Or you know, maybe more, if you want to dig into more of how did you choose the places that you chose to manufacture, you know, what was behind that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere. Uh, I think we can address both. Yeah. Right. So let's, uh, let's hit the first one. So, uh, just starting a business, like how do you go from entrepreneur to entrepreneur? Yeah. This is how do you do it? And to begin, begin, right. And like, you're going to know when it's it because you're, you're going to feel compelled to turn off the TV remote and Google the stuff that you don't want to Google. How do I start yeah. a business? How do I file to register a business? What insurance do I need? And you're going to start sitting down and you're going to start reading boring things because you know, those are the check blocks that you need to be in order to make this idea happen. Yeah. We had no business experience starting this. We had never made a pair of footwear in our lives, never done e-commerce, nothing. And it's just literally sitting down in front of your laptop and Googling, how do I start a company? How do I set up a website? How do I do Facebook advertising? All of those things. And you're going to sit down and you're going to read through that stuff. And a lot of it's going to feel like you're chewing glass, but you're doing it willingly because you know that's what you need to do to make your dream happen. When all of the information is out there, it's just a matter of if you're willing to sit down and do it over time. That's, That's it. It's if you were willing to carve out an hour or two a day out of something else you would have done, to make this dream a reality, then that's your thing. That's when you start doing it. And that's when you're going to pick up all your business skills and lessons and all those other things. And 
I'm not a big fan of school. I'm not a big fan of business school. If you're a business professor at a college and you're teaching people how to do things to be successful and prosperous, how come you're not out doing them yourself? Why not? And that's like, that's something that's always just kind of, I always had in the back of my head when it comes down to business school. And so my mindset was, is if I want to learn something, I'll just get onto the library, get the book on that subject. I'll read it and then I'll implement the best practices out of that book. Yeah. And repeat until successful. That's it. You know, I think that's, uh, I went because I, I guess I wasn't confident enough in myself to really, I was like, well, I just, you know, I'm just getting into the business world and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm trying to go out there. It really is the same as like when you go, I don't know why I didn't carry this lesson with me as well as I should have. But when you show up and you're a platoon leader and you're like, I've spent at this point, almost five years getting prepared for this. And I still don't fear, feel anywhere close to ready for what I'm doing. And you just go do, you listen, you follow the lead of some smart people that are around you. And then you get more confidence and you kind of go and you, you fail and you learn and you just keep going. And, you know, I went to, to school and, you know, honestly, kind of this is this right here is one of my first ventures out to go do something uh, for myself. And it's been incredible. You know, I just saw, I think similar to you, but not on the scale of you. I saw an opportunity where something wasn't happening that I thought should happen. And you go, I think I can do that. I'm just going to learn about it and then start doing, and I'm going to fail. And I know I'm going to fail, but that's okay. Cause I'm going to learn now. Like, this is something I really want to do. Yeah. And that's one of the things I feel blessed about the military for. And people ask, what'd you learn in the military? I learned how to fail. Right. Like, what do you mean? No, I learned how to fail. Like most of the things they ask you to do in the military, you fail the first couple of times of doing it until you learn your lessons and you get better. Yeah. It, you get re- you recycled in mountain phase and Florida phase, you know, and <laughs> you learn how to fail. Yeah. You just learn how to fail. Like luckily I, I went all the way through no recycles, but you know, I did, did fail on certain things to ranger school, but like, did you learn your lesson? Are you going to do it again? No. Are there, are the consequences painful for failing? Yes. Yep. Do you not want to fail in the future? Like, I don't want to fail in the future. What, what can I do to mitigate that failure in the future? And you get better every time. That's right. how the military teaches you how to fail. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you, you, you bite the bullet, you start chewing the glass. How do you start executing on that? So for us, it was a matter of actually just putting pen to paper and seeing if it could happen. So we yeah. just, my brother Andy came over, you know, what's this idea? And so I sketched out the AK-47 flip-flop. And two days later, he comes back with a rendering and we like started a cheesy Facebook page. And we said, hey, we're thinking about making these. And we shared with some friends and they go, oh, that'd be cool. So then I sold a motorcycle and a couple guns and we figured out a consultant that could get us prototypes made in Asia to get what we want to look like, to get all the tooling and stuff done um, that we could send to Afghanistan to, to make our stuff. And so it just came up with a couple thousand bucks. Like it was a lot less expensive than we thought. And we just made our prototypes. And a couple months later, after just kind of answering some emails and drawing some pictures and doing some color things, like on a PowerPoint slide, which we're all pretty good at if you're from the military. Yeah. And next thing you know, like we've got three pairs of flip-flops that are sitting there photo ready to be shot. And then again, we had a cheap website and a cheap Facebook page and we snapped a couple photos on our cell phones and a a DSLR we had laying around, put them out on the internet and people were like, oh, this is a good idea. So then I sold my boat, I sold my hot rod, I sold another motorcycle, I sold some more guns. And then we figured out a way to make 200 sample pair to drop to bloggers, to talk about our company, to drive them to our website to buy so we could go to a full production run. Wow. that's just it. And like all this stuff's in our book. You can read it all. And yeah. it's, it's a lot more entertaining, I promise. <laughs> it's way more entertaining. Because, uh, I mean, there's just roadblocks all the way through. And it's just a matter of, like, stepping your way through. Like, do people want your product? Can you make your product? Is, is it reasonable? Is it viable? Like, and can you make money on it? Right? Like, yeah. those three things. And, like, all the math and the plan and the responses said yes. And so we just kept going. And it never gets easier. You just get better. Did you have any, you know, real oh shit moments? Like I just completely feel out of my league. I'm overwhelmed and I, you know, I don't know what to do right now. So yes. Um, and again, I'm going to point everybody back to the book, but yeah, it happens yeah. uh, when we make our, our trip to Afghanistan to go pick up our first production run. That was, uh, that was quite a moment. I say like my brother and I smoked about a half a pack of cigarettes in 20 minutes and we <laughs> cried a lot. <laughs> it was, 
it was it was a serious pucker oh crap what am i gonna do moment yeah um but like how you pick yourself up right and get moving when you're feeling that way is really the determination determination of how successful you're gonna be moving forward yeah pucker factor high what am i gonna do now and yeah that's absolutely true i think that's another great lesson that you kind of pull away with is that i'm in this moment the only thing that's going to judge how how good I am or how my success is, how do I respond to the situation that I'm finding myself in? Not the fact that I got here, you got there and that is all that matters. The how can be kind of figured out later, but what am I going to do? Not necessarily get out of it, but to deal with what I'm in because there's no getting out of it. Really. The only way out is through, right? Yeah. What do you do when you're going through hell? Keep going. That's right. (laughs) That's it. When in doubt, throttle out. That's right. That's right. So that's, I think that's amazing too. Just hearing you talk about this is everything that you earned that you poured into this. Yeah. I told you, man, when you find yourself like wanting to eat glass to see it, you know, come, come, come to fruition, then you know, that's it for you. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And when people around you seeing, see you do that, they're going to believe in you too. Right. And that only amplifies value. They say people don't commit to you until you commit to it. Right. And when they see you committing to it, then other people are going to commit to it too. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And then like, as far as the countries in which we manufacture, uh, so we started making footwear in Afghanistan. There's a lot of math behind it, but essentially if you make flip flops in Afghanistan, they're going to retail in the United States for about 130 bucks for you to be a viable business. Wow. Which means you're not a viable business. Yeah. So making flip flops in Afghanistan is not a viable business opportunity for a variety of reasons we're not going to go into them now so we actually had to shift our viewpoint we looked at our mission statement so do we help self-determined entrepreneurs affected by conflict are we manufacturing peace through trade it said nothing about afghanistan so we moved our production to colombia bogota war on drugs colombia is very similar to afghanistan where it's a mountain region in conflict with a narco finance insurgency right same it's the exact same thing and the Colombians were actually doing it right. They were using business and education and everything else to end the war and to bring prosperity to their country. So like, we're going to work with the guys who are doing it right. And so we moved our footwear production to Colombia in 2013. And we've been working with a great family-owned business and family-owned businesses down there since then. And it's been spectacular. Uh, we went back to Afghanistan, found a textile factory. We started making scarves and other small products. Through one of our dealers, found a company that was making jewelry out of you know leftover exploded ordnance leftover from Laos. And if you're not familiar with the issue in Laos or the country of Laos, why it's significant is because it's the country immediately to the west of Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, that had the Ho Chi Minh Trail in it. And the U.S., in order to deny the Vietnamese access to the Ho Chi Minh Trail, dropped 280 million cluster munitions over Laos during the Vietnam War. Right. That's a B-52 load every eight minutes for nine years. Yeah, Cambodia. It is the most heavily polluted thing. area. Yeah, most heavily polluted area for uh, unexploded ordnance on the entire planet, and over half the victims are kids. Wow. Personally, I drop cluster munitions out of planes. I know they don't all go off. I know that there's a high likelihood of somebody grabbing one of those things and hurting themselves. And they weren't my com- they weren't my enemy. They weren't my combatant, and that's on me and the, the part of the organization that I was a part of. So I feel some inherent responsibility for that to clean it up wherever I can. And this just happened to come to fruition where there was a a company making some cool jewelry and products and said, Hey, can we partner with you guys to, to make a line for us? And they did. And we've been, you know, making jewelry and clearing landmines for the past six, seven years. And I think we've cleared upwards of 20,000 square meters of landmines. So, which is, which has been cool. That's incredible. And then we make, yeah, we make t-shirts and hats here in the U.S. And we're always surfing for new stuff. But right now, our primary products are Afghanistan and Colombia. Yeah. Well, so, you know, after hearing that, how do you define success for combat flip-flops? You know, we always look at things of, you know, did we meet our educational goals? You know, for every piece of footwear we sell, we put a girl in school for a day in Afghanistan. And, you know, are we hitting our metrics? Are we creating jobs? Are we... And how many jobs are we creating? Are we putting girls in school? How many girls are we putting in school? Is that number bigger than the number that we made last year? Yes. Okay, we're successful, right? And it's the double bottom line. Obviously, you have to be a viable, financially solvent business um, in order to work. And so are we making everything work? Are the ends meeting? Are we growing in cash? Are we growing in inventory? Are we growing in all the things that we need to be doing and moving forward? And 
for us, we have our very key performance metrics that are on that and we're, we're meeting those. Right. So everything seems to be clicking and jiving. Yeah. And, and that's incredible, especially when you, I think when you understand how hard it is just for some people just to get a business going period without thinking of that, that extra mission, I think you realize just how impressive it is for you to be able to do that and consider that part of your, it's not just like a, Hey guys, well, you know, high fives. We, you know, we, we, we did a little bit of a, of our part in the world. That's a very integral part of what you do all the time. It's woven in, it's woven into your, your business model and that's incredible. Thanks man. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's as uh, like, we wouldn't be like, and I, I try to say this as often as possible, but we wouldn't be where we were at if it weren't for our supporters you know, our customers, we call them the unarmed forces. You know, they're a loyal, cool group of people who are down with a mission and they've supported us along the whole way. Like our first run, people bought thousands of pairs and they had to wait 15 months for their first delivery. Think about that. Over a year from when they yeah. paid to when they received delivery, just because they wanted to be a part of it. And it's, it, it's things like that that motivate us when people, you know, when you commit to it, then people commit back to you, which then commits you back to them. And you're willing to do anything to make it successful, not to, not to let them down. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have a a huge amount of gratitude for our customers and how they've supported us over the years. I think that helps build a lot of loyalty too. you know, just understanding, you know, people trust in what you're doing and trust that you're going to deliver on, on what you said you, I do see that as well. So that's, that's incredible. It isn't without its challenges. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, what about those challenges? Uh, you know, I, Based on the areas that you're in, you know, we see headlines in Afghanistan recently of you know, now we've got uh, kind of competing government cells. Um, you know, Colombia is it's always an interesting place to kind of check back into periodically, which I'm sure you're more uh, highly aware of, of what goes on there a lot more often. So what about that part of your business? Keeping tabs on that, I guess, how sensitive are, are you to it and how do you manage that? Um, you know, we always try to keep things in perspective. You know, we, we, we could get upset about a shipment getting delayed or whatever, but usually shipments get delayed. You know, we've had multiples in Afghanistan get delayed because there was just, they were having elections and then the streets were just violent and car bombs are everywhere. And so is it more important for somebody to go to a factory and make a scarf or is it more important for those people to stay at home and to be able to return to work when it's safe to make more scarves? And the answer is B you always take care of your people first. And whenever, whenever mm-hmm. we ran into issues like that, we say, hey, there's a delayed shipment, here's why. All of our customers, we haven't had one crappy response yet from our customers and they go, yeah, this was meant for a gift for my wife, but I totally understand what's going on. I'll get her something else. Thank you for keeping me informed. Like, I hope you and your team are safe. Best wishes, can't wait to get the product. Yeah. And it's to make the right decision, communicate that to everybody and just move forward, right? And, and as far as those challenges with violence and governments and everything is less like that, like that's those are the biggest challenges that we deal with. Because generally people who are working in our factories wanna work, they wanna be successful and they know how to navigate the system to move the product. And they generally do because that's how they feed their families. Yeah. And so we just, we rely on that. I mean, I, I think that's about as sensitive of the issue as we have and everything else we've got is just, you know, are you saying the right things on social media? Are people, are you being kind? Are you being considerate? Are you being thoughtful? Are you being engaging? Those are, you know, a lot of the pitfalls now because you say the wrong thing on social media once and then you're blackballed, right? right? So how do you exist as a company and do things right, keep the mission growing and stay on brand, you know, without ruffling too many feathers? Yeah. But you well, can't I, make everybody happy, so. <laughs> no, I mean, you can't, but at the same time, I think that, you know, you talk about company core values and you talk about executing within those values. I kind of think about the, the organizations I've been a part of sometimes where you have people that are really good at talking about core values, but when it actually comes to checking people and making sure that we're making, you know, every decision that's made, they go, they challenge people and say, is this, is this right? Is this in accordance with what we're doing? But only when you do that, do you really get people to understand and follow suit. And when you're talking about what you're saying on social media, for instance, it is, that's kind of a really interesting thing about the whole veteran business community. The vet bro community is they're doing like, Hey, I'm going to be extreme because people respond to that well before, you know, our current president got in office. And that's not an uncommon thing. 
but I think it's really uncommon and I think it's really incredible when you have people that go, this is a part of what we do. It's not just a part of what we talk about. It's a part of how we execute our business and being kind, making sure people are taken care of and making sure that the product that we put out there, people can be proud of wearing it and know that it's a part of something much bigger than themselves. And I wish I saw a lot more of it, honestly. It's, it's really interesting too, because I think that people are attracted to that. They want that in their own lives. Yeah. And if they find that they can you know, align themselves with a company or a team or an organization that's doing that, they're going to. Yeah. And you see that in our Facebook comments. People who, who follow us, they get our messaging, they read our mission statement, they watch the TED Talk, they read the book, they get it. Yeah. They see how we rewrote our mission statement down and then we base our actions from the CEO down to the, everybody else who's in here, are our actions reflective of this mission statement? Are we taking risks? Are we being creative? Are we, are we connecting to the community? Like, are we using persistence, creativity, and respect to navigate a problem? And in the end of the day, like, are we helping manufacture peace through trade? Right. And that we ask ourselves yeah. those questions when it comes down to an action, should we, or should we not do it? Does it align with our mission statement? And it's, it's pretty cut and dry. It's either a yes or no question. And then when you keep hitting those yeses, people see that and they go, fuck, look at, that, look at what those guys are doing. Like, I want to be a part of that. And like you dive into our Facebook comments. And most of the time we don't respond, especially when haters or trolls jump in there. Yeah. We let the people who have aligned themselves with our values communicate for us. Right. And as long as they're not, you know, calling each other names or insulting each other, we're totally fine. Like have the discussion. It's it's cool. It's it's fun, and we really enjoy doing it. And I think that's it's something that like it warms our heart when we see you know somebody that we don't know, but we've sold product to, jump on and be able to clearly articulate to somebody else that they don't know, like what is going on here as a company, mm-hmm. and why they should look at it maybe a little bit differently from a different perspective. Yeah, and we have to say nothing about it. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean that's incredible. I try to take in as much information as I can, but one of the things I really like. Uh, that I heard um, not long ago, but you know, you kind of get where you know you've built momentum is you have you know a thousand core followers. You have people that are just committed to your cause, to the, what you're putting out there. They have bought in and they are going to defend it and proliferate it to everyone that they know. And I think when you start seeing things like that, you're like, okay, and I've got that. And that's a, I'm sure that's an incredible moment um, to experience. It is cool. We enjoy it. Yeah, often yeah. those get string capped and put in the morale folder. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I think it's really neat that falls in line like with so many things about the military experience too. You know, you hear about, you know, I think people kind of say silent professional and they're, you know, <laughs> a lot of times it's just kind of given, like, oh yeah, silent professional, blah, blah, blah. But you actually see people do it. The way you practice restraint in a social media situation like that is more indicative of someone actually being a silent professional and going, I'm going to let people have a conversation and I'm only going to step in if it gets out of that. And I, I think that's a, a pretty special thing. And I think it's very, you know, it, it's very cool about uh, the, the way you look at social media. It's social. It's not broadcast. You got to let the, you got to make sure the interaction's happening. And our, our favorite thing is when somebody, you know, they, they read the title they read combat flip-flops. They go, nobody fights in flip-flops. And we're like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Pre- precisely the point. They go, oh, they're putting little girls in Afghanistan in school. Like, why aren't you donating here in America? Like, well, there are plenty of other organizations that do that. We suggest you support them. We'll, we'll encourage you to support them. Please do so. There are very few organizations that are doing what we're doing. If you want to learn more, like, here's a free book. Here's a free audio book. Or here, check out this TED Talk. It may yeah. help you understand it. And then you know, a day or two later, they pop back and they go, okay, I get it now. Thanks for sharing that and being patient. Like, I, I get what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, it's, it's just judo, right? Like taking their frustration and anger, right. And just flipping them over on their back and go, okay, man, like this is how this works. And, yeah. and then you see them drive forward, like happy that they learned something, you know, feel like they're a part of a, a cool team. Now we weren't dicks to them. And that's a big thing is if a company's a dick to somebody, you're never going to get them back, but if you're reasonable with them, then who knows, you might want them over as a customer or, or, or a lifelong fan or bring them into that yeah. core crew of a thousand followers. And what's the worst that happens? They stay a troll, you know, like, uh, yeah, you can't help that. Like they're going to have to live with themselves on that one. 
Right. You know, and I think one of the things I was going to talk about a little bit earlier, I lost track of it as I was talking, but I think another really cool lesson you take away from is people being a part of something. And I know that one of my motivations of, of joining the military was I wanted to be a part of something bigger than I was. Did I come away with, you know, maybe a little disappointment as, as to, you know, some of the results of that? Yeah, I, I did. But uh, I was a part of something incredible. I was a, I was a part of people's lives in a way that uh, I never knew that I could be. And I think that's something really cool about what you do is that you even make your consumers be a part of something bigger in, in maybe a way that they didn't know they could be. And, and that's the feeling that we want them to have, right? As, as Americans, we're helpless and apathetic to our foreign policy and DOD policymakers. They're going to continue to fumble, fuck up, and fail, period, right? Because right. the book is written on how to do it. That book hasn't been successful since 1945, but they're still going to follow it because it's in the book. And the guys who are doing something new are saying, hey, let's try it a new way. And it works. And then now somebody can wear our product and go, hey, like, you know, these guys got out. They did it. They were on the pointy end of the spear. And they said, hey, we're going to get out. We're going to push this direction. And it's working. And I'm a part of it now. Like, I'm wearing these flip-flops. They're going to last for a long time. They're pretty cool looking. And they put a little girl in school in Afghanistan for a day. And like, yeah. I did that because I made a different choice or a decision and I'm a part of that crew. And hopefully when they tell their friend, their friend's going to go to our website, surf it and become a customer. And then their impact of just buying a cool product and telling the story is now going to send another little girl to school, put some people to work along the way. Yeah. That's what we want. That's what we're aiming toward. And that's, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Well, so we, we've, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else you wanted to cover outside of that? No, I'll, I'll cover your stuff first and then I'll, I'll, I'll hit our stuff on the operational. But like, I love the, the vibe of the podcast. No shit, there I was. Oh, thanks, man. And if you pick up our book, you know, it's, it's 160 pages of no shit, there I was. That's awesome. And when, you, when you're writing the story of your own life, when those bad, like tumultuous chapters pop up, like how are you going to write the rest of that chapter? Yeah. When you said no shit, there I was, did you fumble and fall and fail or did you stop, exercise some tactical patience? put a plan together and execute like you know you can. So that way when you go back and you tell that story, no shit, there I was, then it ends up with a happy ending. I really I really enjoy that about this podcast and style and I hope more people understand that when stuff's going wrong, you have the opportunity to, to pass or you have the opportunity to fail and how you tell that story is up to you, right? So just just move forward with that. Absolutely. Uh, as, as far as the company's going, like we've been through the COVID you know, ups and downs with everybody else. We are, our manufacturing was uh, quarantined so we had some throttles in manufacturing. So we're now, we're starting to deliver more products uh, every week now. So it's been kind of a nut roll um, for yeah. us. Just just getting stuff on the deck. I mean, it is prime flip-flop season, so. It is, it know, is. We, 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 got, we, got, we got a land product right now. Um, so that's what we're doing. Like hit our website if there's a product that you like uh, that we don't have in stock. Hit the little button on your size, sign you up for notification. So as soon as it comes in stock, we'll send you an email so you can go get it. And we always give those customers a 24-hour lead time on everybody else before we market the product that's on the deck. So if you want first right of refusal, go to the website, select your product, sign up to get notified, and then we'll send you an email like as soon as it hits the warehouse. Um, so that way you can get it uh, before the rest of the market does. Uh, other than that, we're just doing a bunch of fun marketing stuff here over the summer. We're, we're digging into our military tool bit of toolbox of skills and we're going to execute some pretty badass marketing initiatives which i'm pretty excited about so that's that's coming soon in the very near future that's awesome and other than that if you guys just want to learn more about the company um combatflipflops.com right on the slider when you go across the top you know it's going to give you the the option to click in to get the free audiobook or ebook you can get both of them enjoy right uh you know just download that and if you want to follow us on social, everything's at Combat Flip Flops. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, whatever. It's all at Combat Flip Flops. And if you want to follow me personally or you want to interact with me, I'm on Instagram at combatflipflops.griff, G-R-I-F-F. Very cool. Man, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am for you to join me today. And uh, it's it's been great talking to you. Great talking to you as well, man. I hope everybody has a fantastic day, fantastic week, fantastic month. And uh, we'll see you all on the backside. Sounds good. 
One last note on how you should access the book, Steps Ascending. Go to the Combat Flip Flops website, and in the menu, there will be accessories listed, and below that will be an option to choose the book. You still have the option to get a free audiobook or ebook version, but if you like the smell and feel of crisp paper, you can buy a hard copy as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great rest of your day. Just one last time before we part. Listen, you don't have to order those chunky cotton tees with flaky screen-printed logos that peel off after three washes. Emblem Athletic prints your designs directly into their high-quality athletic fabrics so it will never fade and your team looks fresh and kick-ass all the time. Go to emblemathletic.com and get started on your custom gear. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show. If you liked it, please share it with family and friends. And please consider leaving a rating or even better, a review. It really does help. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can visit the website at nstiwpodcast.com. Follow on Twitter at nstiwpodcast1 or on Instagram or Facebook at NSTIW Podcast, where you will receive additional notifications as well as additional content. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to see it continue to dive into bigger and better stories, consider donating. Navigate to the website where you can read how the donation will be used and you can easily donate over PayPal. On a final note, if you or someone you know has a story worth telling, please submit a summary via a contact form on the website for consideration. Thanks again and get out there and do something worth telling about.